Welcome to the Vici Mundum Show, a ministry of Our Lady of Mount Carmel Catholic Church in Newport News, Virginia. So it seems like fall has finally showed up. I know, it was great yesterday or a couple of days ago. It was just miserable and steamy, and then we had a hurricane, and now it's absolutely gorgeous outside. <laughs> hurricane Michael blew in fall. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was wonderful. Apparently, the whole course of this Hurricane Michael, and I'm really sorry, and we pray for all the people who are, who are hurt and who lost so much when it hit in uh, the panhandle, but for us, it was just a lot of rain and wind, but uh, it certainly did usher in a beautiful day. It did. It was a fast-moving storm. It was crazy to watch how it just kind of came in and within a couple of days blasted through. Well, with with Florence, which we thought was going to hit here and didn't hit us at all. At the scene, I don't know if it's just because we were on the East Coast and we're sort of going to get hit by it, but um, this Hurricane Michael just seemed to just all of a sudden there it was, and nobody really had a lot of time to prepare. So Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, definitely praying for all those people. It's down in Florida and Georgia, um, a lot of the agriculture. Yeah, Georgia got, got huge impacted. amounts of rain and yeah. oh, really? a lot of cotton and pecans and there was another crop that got seriously damaged. Yeah, yeah. And that's a lot of people's livelihood. Oh yeah, no, it's tough. So, well, on that happy note, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. It's good <laughs> to be back to the uh, to the Vici Moonham show. We're we're excited, and if you didn't already pick up, we have one of our favorite guests back, Father John David, our pastor, beloved pastor here at Mount Carmel, um, and also with us is Ken White, um, and I'm Austin, and uh, we are here to talk about. Um, a different type of topic today. Uh, we want to talk about something that um, that might be a little confusing for some folks, and, and hopefully shed some light uh, on it. But the topic is um, at large is reparation, um, and what what exactly is reparation? What is making uh, making acts of reparation? Uh, what does that look like in terms of the church? Um, but to get us started, we were discussing this topic beforehand before recording and. Um, and there's probably some groundwork that we should set before we can really talk about right. reparation. Um, so, and some of that being uh, an understanding first and foremost of uh, of us as the body of Christ, as the church, as the body of Christ. Um, right. And the way this all came up, I mean, with with what's going on, the scandal in the church uh, on various levels, a number of bishops, and uh, including our our own here in the diocese of Richmond, have recognized that there's a need. For healing on all sorts of level and so levels, and so the the whole uh, understanding of reparation, uh, the word reparation is where we get the same. It's the same root for the word repair. So to talk about reparation is to talk about repairing something. But it's it's easy to think of reparation um, on a on a simply on a personal level. Um, in other words, you know, some people have understandably asked the question, well, if there are people who were engaged in this scandal, I had nothing to do with the scandal. Why am I being asked to make acts of reparation for the scandal? And so, and that's a totally understandable and good question. But in, under, in order to understand what reparation is um, in the life of, of our Catholic faith, uh, then, as you said, Austin, we have to start with an understanding of how we are the body of Christ. Can I ask just a quick clarifying question, too? Is uh, Are atonement and reparation, are those interchangeable terms? Well, it's like anything in theology. They, they, they on a, Not anything, but a lot of things in theology, the, the terms are related 
Um, so atonement is the word that we use. It's, it's one of those English words, uh, one of the few English words that contains its own definition. So if you take the three parts, the three syllables of atonement apart, you have at one meant. Um, and oh, so, yeah, so atonement means how th- atonement is the word used to describe how God has chosen to bring us back into unity Mm. Uh, with him, so make us at one with him, which is at one meant or atonement. Okay, uh, and of course that's the person and work of Jesus Christ. Then, so so Jesus is the one who atones for our sins totally. Um, he accomplishes everything that is necessary for our salvation. Uh, he is the one who, I suppose you could say, he is the one who who is the great act of reparation. He has he is the one who. F- finally and forever has repaired the division between human beings and God that was caused by original sin. Okay, that makes sense. So they're related. Yeah, you know. very closely related. Right, okay. right. Um, so the body of Christ, um, in terms of, of reparation uh, and us making acts of reparation for others, what's the, what's the relationship Right, there? so, in, so in, order to, in order to understand the Catholic teaching on reparation, uh, which is a, which is itself again a form of penance, right? So we when we hear the word penance, we think of uh, that part that that act we're asked to do or that prayer we're asked to pray as a result of confessing our sins in the sacrament of reconciliation, and that's correct. Um, but there are other ways to do penance. Um, that is to say, there are other reparation is a form of penance that we do for the good of the church or the good of the world. We'll get back to that. In order to understand how reparation works as a Christian mystery in the Catholic understanding, you first have to be, we first have to remember what it means to be, as Christians, part of the body of Christ. Um, And those who are used to me hearing me preach, uh, whenever these passages come up from Paul, when he talks about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians and elsewhere, um, it's always a beautiful moment to reflect on on the real intimacy that the that the that the Christian people share with Christ through his own love for us and through the way he draws us to himself through baptism and nourishes us through the sacraments most especially the Eucharist so what when we speak when Paul speaks of the body of Christ i mean the the sort of the basic thing is now remember he says you, this is a paraphrase, but remember, he says, you are members of the body, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Mm. And I like to point out that that's not a metaphor. Um, it's an actual reality that, that Christ draws us, self, him, draws us to himself in such a powerful way that we literally actually become his body um, with Christ as the head. Right, so it's utterly dependent upon Jesus. We, it's another way of saying this is that we, through Jesus' death and resurrection, we become participant in Christ. Mm. If Christ is the means, is the one who has paid the ultimate price for our sins, and if He becomes our true example and our true, uh, the one through whom we have salvation, then it's by participation in all that He has done that we are given. Uh, salvation that we are given the freedom to be the men and the women God created us to be. So that means that through that participation, uh, we become unified in Christ um, as one body with Christ as the head, 
um, and Christ is the head, meaning he's the one who directs the body. It's just like the brain. I mean, we, the, yeah. Jesus is the brains of the organization. Uh, and some of us are toenails, and some of us are ears, and some of, <laughs> some of us are heart muscle, and some of us are ribs. But the whole body works together, led by Christ. And so, so as the body of Christ, that means that when I pray, or when you, Austin, pray, or you, Ken, pray, um, we're not just praying for ourselves in isolation, uh, in the same way that the the thumb does what it does in relation to the whole body, and even though the thumb has its own separate movements, it's dependent upon blood vessels and and nerves and all these other things to do what it does, and it affects the rest of the body. So also then, um, the our prayers and our actions are not limited are not limited in their effect to each one of us, but have effects on others. You, you can almost kind of get a sense of, uh, I mean, just the way you've explained that is, um, I think of, you know, if, if Christ is the head, the head is kind of where uh, where we process everything. Right. So if the body members, um, like myself, when I sin, uh, that it would affect, obviously, the rest of the body. Right. And right. Jesus Christ as the head would more uh, more intimately experience the pain of my sin. Um in right, because terms, that's know? very yeah. No, yeah. that's right, and and he does he does, and that's how we can say that Christ still suffers for our sins. I think that's a good example of what of or a good way of saying what you just said mm-hmm. is a good way of saying uh, of that is that you know if I smash my th- I keep coming back to thumbs because I have two, um, <laughs> but if I if I smash my thumb by accident with a hammer, the pain that registers and and the more or less faithful reaction that follows. Um, is because it's all processed instantaneously in my brain. Right. Right. So again, there's the you know in the modern world we sort of think of um, our brains as who we are and our bodies as sort of the shell in which our brains and that's a completely unchristian understanding. You know, we we are mind, body, and soul in unity. We were created for that wholeness. Uh, and so to the body of Christ language in Paul and elsewhere uh, reminds us um, in very powerful ways that we, to be John David Ramsey, to be Austin Fahrenholt, to be Ken White, is to be a unity of body, soul, and and mind. And it's the same thing with the body of Christ as a whole, mm. right, as the church, right? So that, uh, and Paul says this, if one member suffers, all members suffer, if mm. one person rejoices all rejoice and so you know and in terms of sin if it if somebody in a very real way if somebody in you know australia a catholic christian in australia sins i am affected by that i mean I, i don't even know the person i don't even know what he or she has done but i know that it 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 drags me down in the same way um that that um, if you have a toothache, I'm about to get a root canal. So if if, <laughs> if you have if you have a toothache, um, it doesn't just affect that tooth. I mean, it makes your whole day, your whole body feel mm-hmm. worn down. Yeah, I think there's something really um, beautiful about that in that we're not alone. None right. of us oh, are never. alone. Right. Um, because even if one feels alone or is isolated within their own community in some way. 
um, or in their own family. They're not alone because of the body of Christ. No, we're never alone. Um, and that's why, I mean, just to take a sort of odd example, but when, uh, so for example, we have not too far from us a community of poor Claire's mm-hmm. uh, who are cloistered sisters. And um, they used to be very close to us here at our parish. But after the city grew up around them, they, they went out to um, a very beautiful place outside of Williamsburg. And we still have a strong connection with them. But people will say, well, you know, they're just being very selfish. Some people might say who don't understand the monastic life might say, well, they're just, they get to get, be away from all the problems of the world and just live their pleasant life. Well, that's a complete misunderstanding because they don't understand the nature of the body of Christ. I am strengthened. They, one of their, their charisms, the sisters, is to pray for seminarians, mm. right? And I, I am aware that I was strengthened in my studies and in my formation by this group of nuns who at the time I didn't know. I know them now, but at the time I didn't know. Their prayers affected me even though I didn't know them. Mm. So you're never alone, uh, in exactly that sense. And and it's also beautiful because we're never alone even when we sin. Hmm. Right. So and this gets us a little bit towards what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, in the broader sense, which is if if I have sinned, if I've done something against the body of Christ, the fact that people are praying for me, even if they don't know it, but but particularly when they do know it, hmm. When there's when the, when something has happened in a parish or a diocese or the, or the the church as a whole, as we're we're dealing with now in the United States, um, the people who have sinned need our prayers, and when we pray in reparation, that is, when we pray that the damage done may be repaired, and that those responsible may be dealt with justly but and faithfully but justly and, and in appropriate ways, um, we are adding to the possibility, not just, I shouldn't say possibility, we're adding to the reality that God himself is repairing the damage done even by leadership in the church, by anybody in the church. But the scandal, I mean, we have to remember that the word scandal means something that happens that causes people to doubt the truth. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that that's... Yeah, and so so a scandal, that's why you can talk about, you know, um, if if a preacher preaches some untruth or a homilist preaches some untruth at a mass, that causes scandal because it, it causes doubt in the minds of those who've heard it. Oh. Well, in a different way, when, when you know, a scandal uh, occurs within the leadership of the church, it makes people doubt the power of the leadership to guide us, which then becomes a challenge to faith. It's not that people think that Jesus has failed, but if these leaders who are acting in the name of Jesus. um, So kind of just curious and bringing it back to the analogy, what Austin was talking about with the brain, mm -hmm. you know, Christ and us being all these other (laughs) parts of the body. Is it not unlike, like if somebody loses a hand, for instance, then they will learn, their body will adjust and um, through commands from the brain right. to be able to handle what normally the other hand would do. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Or, or like different parts, like the body is very adaptable in many ways. And is it, is it the same? And like we, we, you know, we have this suffering and this pain and this lapse here. And so we're called to... It, it, it is, although 
it is the same with one addition, which sounds, this is going to sound kind of creepy, but with the body of Christ, we have, because of Christ, we have the power to regenerate the missing limb. Okay. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, I mean, you know, there are, there are animals, like, I happen to know if you cut a planarian in two, it will grow into two. A planarian? Yeah. A planarian <laughs> is a one-celled creature that has to do with seminarians, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> Um, I was thinking more like a salamander regrows. Well, there's tail, that. But. That's that's yeah. That's but the planarian also. The obviously, pl- planarian planaria are one of three things I remember from my eighth grade science class. But anyway, <laughs> um, but that, that, that's but salamanders the same. I mean, you you can regrow the limb, and um, you know, so the body of Christ is never lacking in its wholeness. Right, but that doesn't mean there is not a need for repair and healing. There's mm-hmm. constantly because the body of Christ, we are in the midst of our redemption. Right, when Christ comes back and gives us our resurrection bodies and and makes us whole, and we experience the new the new creation, then there won't be any need for reparation or the or the sacraments at all, for that matter, um, because the sacraments are given to us to help us until the fullness of redemption is complete when Jesus comes back. Um, but in the meantime, we, we're, you know, as I'm fond of saying, um, the church, the people who are most drawn to Jesus are tax collectors, prostitutes, and lepers. Mm. They're, they're broken people. And, and they're always the ones who understand Jesus best. But when you've got an organization currently made up of 1.3 billion tax collectors, <laughs> prostitutes, and lepers, it's going to be a messy business. <laughs> right? And that's, that's the church. I mean, it's, 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 it's very reassuring that if you read Scripture carefully, the church has always been a mess because it's made up of us. Hmm. But the reason it's the instrument of salvation is because of Jesus and his Father and the Holy Spirit who never give up on us, ever. That's the, the constant theme, one of the constant themes of Old Testament and New Testament alike, is that he never gives up, but we have to be repaired. We have to atone for our sins. We have to, you know, not because we're, it, it, this is not, one of the early heresies in the church was called Pelagianism, and it was this idea that we had something to do, we could correct or fix ourselves for God. Um, and that's a denial of the absolute necessity of Christ. So we're not Pelagians. We don't think we can fix ourselves. But it's part of God's desire and what's good for us that we take responsibility for our actions. And the same, it's just the same as with human relationships. If, you know, if, if Ken and I get angry with each other and I punch him in the face, um, which would never happen, people. Never happen. <laughs> but, you know, if I were to do that and then, and then I, you know, he very generous. I came back later and said, I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. Um, and he very generously forgave me, and I said, "Let's go get a pizza and just have a good evening together." Some cold meat, maybe too, for yeah. the bruise. For the what? Some cold, cold meat, meat to the, put on yeah. your face. Yeah, to put on your oh. face for the bruise. <laughs> yes, that would and be pizza. helpful. <laughs> you but, would go to cold meat. I cold would think meat, ice yeah. or something. Then. Uh, yeah. uh, exactly. <laughs> so you know, but but the, the, we we want to do something a little extra to show that we're sorry, and that's the nature of penance in the sacrament of reconciliation. But it's also this understanding that we have responsibility for our actions. But Mm. in terms of reparation, we also, because we're so closely united with each other in the body and as the body of Christ, my prayers of reparation will help heal the body of things that I I didn't do, Mm. sins that I did not commit, but that were committed by others. 
and yet that intimacy, charity, the love that Christ asks of us, agape, uh, demands, so to speak, um, that we pray for others and pray for that healing. And that's what reparation is in the life of the church. I think that's cool, too, because even going off of what you said with the human relationships and the example of you know, taking me out for, for pizza, because the reality is that might heal that instance, right? Mm-hmm. But it also may heal instances where I have been wronged by other people. Just right. by the naturalness of someone is taking time to spend time with me and make repair for something. Well, you know I, mean, think about it. I mean, I could see something like that happening. You know, you, you say, "Wow, this is this is good that we've we've resolved this." And somewhere in the back of your mind, you know, it's like, you know, God is good and He does help us to forgive each other. So, and you consciously or unconsciously forgive little hurts that other people, you know, right. I don't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to continue to lick that wound of the person who hurt me two weeks ago by saying a mean thing. I mean, it, right. so exactly. I mean, that's mm-hmm. exactly right. There's a great verse uh, from James um, that's along these lines uh, about the work of reparation. James five sixteen through 24 verses. But it says, uh, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And I like this next part. The fervent prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Elijah was a human being like us, yet he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain upon the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you should st- should stray from the truth and someone bring him back, he should know that whoever brings back a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Which is kind of like what you said, Ken, you know, that one action of of healing of a cold steak on your face that was punched <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, can bring healing for a number of other things too. Well, and that's it. And, and I, as you were reading that, I was thinking, you know, again, scripture is just full of this understanding that, that our prayers affect each other. I mean, obviously we know our negative actions affect each other, you know, or, or any action affect, but we don't necessarily think of our prayers as affecting mm each other or that I have a responsibility to pray. Well, I take that back. I mean, if somebody is in a bad situation and they say, father, would you pray for me? We don't think twice about that, right? Of course we pray for the other person, but I think we, in the bigger scale, when you're talking about acts of reparation for sins of the church and sins that have been committed by leaders within the church, that seems a little odd. And and I think part of it's because we live in a culture that's so individualistic Hmm. that my actions affect me and they don't affect anybody else. And sort of in the back of our minds, when you're, when you have spent most of your life hearing, well, you know, you're your own person, you're your own unique individual, which is true, but we're not disconnected. Hmm. Um, And this idea that, that, I mean, throughout Scripture, it's just it's everywhere that our that our prayers affect each other and affect situations, like the passage you just read from James, right? So, um, I, I think it's it's helpful both to think about this body of of Christ language that that helps us to understand our identity as members of the body of Christ and uh, the body of Christ and individually members of it, but just in day to day stuff. We recognize that if my friend asked me to pray that he, you know, overcome the flu, that's perfectly natural. But when the church, uh, people in the church say we need to do acts of reparation for the sins of some of the leaders of the church, 
that's that's shocking at first, but it's exactly the same thing. Hmm. It's exactly the same thing. I think that's one of the mis- mysterious um, and wonderful attributes of our God is that He He has the power. Um, and yet in that verse in James, it says the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. And then goes on to say, Elijah, who was human, right. you know, he was a prophet, but he was, he was human, uh, prayed, and then it did not rain. And then he prayed again, and it did rain. That there's something about our God that he wants us to pray for things, and he responds to those prayers. Mm-hmm. Because you could say, you know, well, he's the head. Why is he waiting for me, a lowly toenail, to pray <laughs> and say, you know, can you please help the thumb? Uh, and but that's that's one of the mysteries of love that I I find is so confusing and yet beautiful at the same time right. that he wants us to do that. And yet it's not, again though if you think I, I agree, but if you think about it, it's it's confusing at first glance. But then mm-hmm. again, come back to the body. What we just said, it's not confusing to us that if I smash my thumb with a hammer my brain reacts by sending, you know, white blood cells or, or, mm. you know, the desire to scream in agony or whatever it <laughs> means, you know, that, that we don't think twice about the fact that our bodies are a unified thing. Or if you, mm. you know, if, if you put your hand on a hot stove, you don't, while it's burning away, you don't think, huh, I should contemplate, um, whether this is hurting my hand, it seems to be sizzling. So I mean, I mean, you just automatically like it's faster yeah. than you. It's not a. It is rational, but it's not reflective, right? It's a reaction. It's yeah. a reaction, and so so. And then your other hand's grabbing it, and you look at it, right? And the only reason I bring that up yeah. is that that's how the body works. It's a completely unified thing. Mm. Each part of our body has its own work and its own attributes, but we, the human, a human person is completely unified in the way it works, right? And that's we know that. I mean that's just that's just obvious, but when you apply that when you think about the body of Christ, when you understand the real depth of the church as the body of Christ, then it also makes sense that my immediate reaction to news of some scandal um, should be to pray for the repair of the church. You know, I'm the one who who is responsible for doing my part in bringing about healing immediately. I mean, that's the immediate response. So can you talk a little bit about um, an act of reparation? I know it's, it sure. includes prayer, obviously, we've been talking a lot about, but are there... Can you right, so it's, that? sure, so it's, you know, it's, so what makes an act of reparation, an act of reparation is intention. Intention. Okay. Right, so before we started, we were talking about the difference between uh, a penitential act, something one does for penance, um, uh, and an act of reparation, and so, so you take the the traditional uh, disciplines of Lent, the penitential disciplines of Lent, which are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Right. Well, I know priests and others who have decided to to be really serious about fasting once a week um, as an act of reparation for the damage done in the church. So fasting can be done as simply as a prayer, as a discipline. Right, it doesn't necessarily even have to be penitential. It can be ascetical, meaning an act of discipline that allows us to focus more on Jesus. But in Lent and at other times, we, you know, if if um, if somebody has had a diagnosis for cancer, I might, uh, as part of my prayer for that person, I might fast for a day. Mm. Right, and that fasting again is connected. It's all prayer. It's all prayer. It's all prayer. Um, so fasting um, or 
you know, you, I mean, all the, the usual things you can do in Novena, you know, you can pray an extra rosary once a week, you know, in reparation for the damage done to the church. Um, one thing that's become and that we're going to start doing here at the church at all the masses is praying the prayer of St. Michael, mm. uh, which is not exactly an act of reparation, but it can be. I mean, it's an act recognizing that, that we need all of the spiritual guidance and protection we can get. And yet, um, if at the end of mass, I'm offering that prayer uh, for the good and healing of the church, then that becomes an act of reparation. Mm. So it's any of the usual array of, of prayers and various penitential acts that one prays with the intention. So again, sometimes you pray the rosary just to pray the rosary, but sometimes you pray, you know, I'll say, I'll pray my, somebody says to me, um, you know, I've got a family situation that I'm really struggling with, and I'll say, I'll pray my rosary for you today. Mm. That's an that's a prayer that is oriented in my intention to help another person. Well, if I orient my rosary in my head, if I intend to pray that rosary for the healing of the church, that becomes an act of reparation. Mm. Okay. So intention, intention, yeah. yeah. So even like acts of, or you could do, Praise, like praise as a type of prayer, could even be with the intent of. Yeah, I think there's something. I think there's something. Yes, of course. Um, I think you know, with again, when we're when there's a there's certainly a penitential aspect to acts of reparation. Sure. Right. So, so they they tend to be more in this. So here, the sort of the comparison would be, you know, we stop saying or singing Alleluia during Lent. Sure. We we because it's a season of penance we sort of reduce the focus on praise mm, because okay. Alleluia is a word of praise. So it's not that praising God is not an act of reparation, but just sort of the way our human beings, our human minds work. It's, it's going to be more with a penitential quality. Sure. Character. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are um, closing in on the end of our, our time together. We're almost at 30 minutes. Is sure. there any, anything that you've, that we've left out, Father, that you think should be added on. I just think I think I think we should rejoice in the fact that we are the body of Christ, with Christ mm-hmm. as our head, and that we that Christ Himself has has given us trust and uh, the encouragement to pray for others and to pray for the work of repair in the church, right? And that that we, um, I mean, the church is always reforming. The church there, there's always problems that need to be addressed we're in a situation right now that's affected many people very negatively and so it becomes all the more important and powerful to make reparation in just the way that we've talked about because that's the gift of charity that god has given us to help the church be repaired and move forward Mm, that's beautiful Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Amen. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Father. Um, this was awesome having you back. I uh, really enjoyed talking about always this. Always glad one. to be here. And um, uh, I just want to say to all of our listeners, if you enjoyed this, if this was helpful, please share it with uh, with your friends and family. Um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you aren't already. Um, and if you would ever like to be on the show, we have an application on vichimundum.com. Um, and you can always send us an email, vichimundum1633 at gmail.com. Um, so until next time, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, pray, pray for, for us. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenters alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of Our Lady of Mount Carmel Catholic Church in Newport News, Virginia, or the Catholic Diocese of Richmond. This podcast is presented to you by individuals who are not all necessarily experts in the field of discussion, but are answering the call to new evangelization and sharing the love of Christ with you. God bless you.